It's no secret that communities built from scratch have the upper hand when it comes to innovation. They can shift on a dime, edit ruthlessly, and construct scaffolding that efficiently and even elegantly supports their reason for being. In our current series, we invite you to join us and the innovators as they explain the ins and outs of their communities, why they do what they do, and how they get it done. In this episode, we welcome a seasoned pastor serving in a historic church who reminds us so beautifully why responding to the Spirit's nudging in people's lives makes all the difference for them, the church, and the world. Welcome back to New Way, the podcast that explores the connections between people, their communities, and the ways that context shapes faith. I'm your host, Sarah Hayden. We live in such a hurried age and constraining sometimes. It feels constraining, I believe. And the roles that we play, the expectations that are placed upon us, our calendars are constraining. And the way of Jesus is so spacious, I think. It happens along the way while one is walking along or moving along through the world and the role of Sabbath in the life of a believer. And so I'm always thinking, how do we do this? How do we make a more capacious approach to ministry? Today, I am thrilled to welcome to the podcast my friend, the Reverend Gracie Payne, who is a minister of Word and Sacrament in the Presbyterian Church USA, living in Indianapolis, where she has been pastoring young adults at Second Presbyterian Church, working with guests and new members, and building a ministry from the ground up. In part one of our conversation, we discuss the joy of intentionality in ministry, how a new member class became the welcome table, and why we celebrate the spaciousness of the way of Jesus. Let's jump right in. Gracie, thank you so much for being here today, and I have a lot of anticipation about a great conversation in store. Thank you so much, Sarah. It's such an honor to get to have conversation with you here and always. Yes, every time we get the chance to be together, Gracie, I always feel the intention behind your words and your spirit, and I think that is one of the things I'd love for us to unpack a little today in this podcast conversation. I get the sense that there are very few things you do in ministry that are unintentional. (laughs) From the way visually a room is set to the invitation that is crafted to the vision for what an experience might be like. I think you don't take people's time for granted. And it reminds me of a quote that you shared with me from Pastor Lillian Daniels. So often in the church, we act like this is so important that we expect nothing of you. That irony of inviting people into this life-changing experience of seeing the world through their faith, but requiring actually very little from them. And I'm wondering what struck you about that quote, if you could unpack that a little bit for us. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you, Sarah. Your words are so kind and they bless me. And I have very high expectations of myself. I want to do right by others. And I had a mentor when I was in clinical pastoral education who really emphasized over and over again that pastors are given permission or not. Sort Mm -hmm. of when we walk into a hospital room, 
we are in someone else's space and we are guests. And so I have high expectations for the ways in which pastors can be better guests Hmm. among people and how we might interpret and understand their longings and listen for the ways in which they're grasping after God. So you have a high expectation of the privilege of sitting in someone's space. Like you're not assuming that you get to be in someone's life just because of the role you play as, or the role you live as clergy. Yeah. In fact, people are very skeptical of clergy in many ways, rightfully so. And so I feel, and I probably in some ways learned this from you, Sarah, that we have to take that privilege seriously and be responsive to the people in front of us in a way that honors the trust that they have given to us or the ways in which they are withholding trust. And so listening for that and being worthy of that sacred conversation that we get to enter into between them and God. And I think creating spaces, like you mentioned, is really just an act of listening Hmm. and setting the stage in a way for that encounter to be honored with reverence. I think we live in a very irreverent society. Hmm. And so I wonder about the way the pastor can show reverence for the sacred conversation that we just get to bear witness to. I love that. How can I be a better guest? Yeah, yeah, we live in a very irreverent society. Are there examples that come to mind for you uh, when you, like, lately? Well, I think the way in which we are so critical of one another, and when we disagree, we write one another off with such expedience. And even to the point of, I see people almost celebrating the suffering of some people and of their political enemies. And I just think, oh, where have we fallen that we can't honor the reality that, as Cornell West says, anytime we look into someone's eyes, we're looking into the face of God. So how do we restore that sense of every time we engage with a person, we treat them as Christ among us? And so taking that seriously and helping people restore their own sense of dignity and thus also I hope and pray, restore their respect for one another. Mm, And that's probably partially because of the setting I'm in too, right? I'm in a setting that's pretty mixed as far as theological perspectives go. And I want to see people come to the table and engage with one another with reverence, awe, and respect so that they can encounter God in the other. And thus, I think we're enacting a form of reconciliation, a small, small piece. (laughs) And hopefully we can do that in other spaces in our life that are higher risk, the Thanksgiving table, and then to the prisons, to our community, to the suffering. I love that. You have a really recent example of a switch that you have made in the kind of experience people are offered in the church when they, in your particular congregation, Second Presbyterian Church in Indianapolis, which is a large congregation, there's been a shift in the ways in which you've experimented with prioritizing. I don't want to say this wasn't happening before, but the event itself of gathering people and the ways in which reverence was offered and invited and experienced. And I'd love to hear you describe a little bit of that shift from the new member class. And sometimes we feel lucky to have one because there's people who want to join the church, right? Yeah. Like, thank goodness there's people signing up for the new member class. But you have shifted into an experience that you call the welcome table. Can you contrast those two things or just describe that shift that went on for you? Yeah. A few months ago, we were sitting around and we were discussing the fact that 
our structure maybe wasn't showing reverence to our views around membership and baptism. We were wrestling with this reality that often we would have folks sign up to participate in the new member class. And we would really tell them like, this is open, you can attend, no pressure to join. There'll be an opportunity to opt into membership if that's something you wish to do, a step you wish to take, but this is to get to know second. And then the following week, you would make that decision, whether you would join the congregation. And we felt that that expedience was creating unnecessary pressure. And we were finding that when folks attended the class and they had not yet been baptized, that we were then in this kind of pretzel (laughs) of how do we get them baptized quickly, which there's something to be said about, you know, not baptizing with undue haste (laughs) in our tradition. And it felt like there was some undue haste there to hurry up, baptize them, and then they could join the following Sunday. And it didn't feel reverent. And that conversation happened and was in the background. And then at the same time, we were saying, well, we've got these new folks who don't yet feel ready to take the step towards membership, but we should not create barriers to their belonging. We Mm -hmm. need to help them connect with one another and connect with the church. And so what could we do to honor that? I have always had this draw, I think, towards breaking bread together. I think there's such power in the table. And I recently was with a group of colleagues discussing a book that I read a long time ago, Joshua Gipps, Saved by Faith and Hospitality, Hmm. where he kind of walks through the New Testament and how to be a good host, how to be a good guest, what our scriptures teach us about hospitality. And he also places strong emphasis on the table. And so I realized that that was probably a formative conversation partner for me years ago. So I said, well, let's gather everyone at a table. Let's just invite them to have a meal with one another. Let's intentionally keep it small so that they can share themselves and really feel that they've gotten to know a few people on a deeper level and also a few of our pastoral leaders. And so from there, we just said, let's experiment with it. And we scheduled one for a couple of months ago and then another for December and it was kind of a Hail Mary. We were like, we'll see if this helps. We'll see Mm -hmm. if anyone wants to participate. And sure enough, we had a full table of 10 folks and two pastors gather in the parlor, a room that had been recently redone, but was so sacred, we didn't want to spill coffee in it. So I had to get special permission to host a meal there, (laughs) which I just also feel like is so beautifully churchy, you know, of like, we have these great spaces, but then we're like, "Uh oh, should we use them to host people in them? And people were overjoyed when they saw we were using it for this. So the response from the congregation was very positive, but it was funny that we had this hesitation around it. Mm -hmm. So everyone gathered in the space and Just the other night, I met with one of the young women who was at that table, and she was asking about baptism. And so we just scheduled her baptism to happen. She wanted it to happen before Christmas so that she could partake in communion as a baptized Christian on Christmas Eve with her congregation. That's very moving. Yes. Yes, we'd had this conversation about the way in which our structure for membership was creating undue haste around baptism and and a lack of reverence around what membership really means. Sometimes there would create this sense of, oh, I better just check the box and move forward without the opportunity to have that sacred conversation at a slower pace between God and them and the larger church. And so we saw the way that the welcome table created this space for folks to step back, 
practice reverence, have the dialogue, and us to come alongside them on that journey. And so actually all of those folks have said that they'll be joining in January in our next new member class. But that feels so much more capacious to have a table in October or whenever that was, and then the opportunity to join in January and all the conversations that have happened in between, seeing some of them begin serving or one of the youths started coming and meeting people in youth group. And so um, just how do we get out of the way (laughs) by creating spaces that allow them to encounter God and one another? That's what I'm wrestling with. We'll be right back. You are listening to New Way, the podcast that explores the connections between people, their communities, and the ways that context shapes faith. I'm your host, Sarah Hayden. And today's guest is the Reverend Gracie Payne, who pastors young adults at Second Presbyterian Church in Indianapolis, where she works with guests and new members and is building a ministry from the ground up. During this short break, we wanted to let you know that you can find links to the resources mentioned in our podcast and an audio transcript of our episodes online at newchurchnewway.org. We hope you'll share this episode with a friend and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Now, back to my conversation with Gracie. It just strikes me that when you have, as a person, when a person has been seen and listened to, it builds up a certain courage and confidence where you feel worthy of relationship, I think. Demonstrating that physically in a place in the church and practicing the reverence, the presence in conversation with one another. I heard you say when you described this initially that you wanted to communicate in words to those present and also in practice. This is not a spiel. This is actually not about we want to tell you about second. It was, we want to hear about you. We want to hear who you are. And that shift that I think really a paradigm shift that can occur for folks when they realize their story itself is important to the pastors in the congregation, but also to the beloved community they are discovering right now. Mm -hmm. And you just use the word capacious. I think capaciousness is a word that comes to mind when I think about the spaces you create. I'd love to hear you talk a little more about that. Why is capaciousness something that comes up for you? And what's the alternative to capaciousness? We live in such a hurried age and constraining sometimes. It feels constraining, I believe. And The roles that we play, the expectations that are placed upon us, our calendars are constraining. And the way of Jesus is so spacious, I think. Mm. It happens along the way while one is walking along (laughs) or or moving along through the world and, and the role of Sabbath in the life of a believer. And so I'm always thinking, how do we do this? How do we, how do we make a more capacious approach to ministry. And I've largely served in churches that are highly programmed. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I've experienced the ways in which we pick up the culture's pace and we adopt it as our own. And so while I feel that pressure to constantly meet performance objectives (laughs) or something, I also want to find ways that if we put it on the calendar and invite people to it, it has to matter. Mm-hmm. I don't want to put things on people's calendars that don't 
matter, that don't help them encounter God, encounter the community where they can grow, where they can serve, where they can be stretched. And I've done ministry in certain seasons where out of my own frenetic energy, I filled people's calendars with things that did not serve God, serve the world, or serve them. And I think I've been repenting for it ever since. (laughs) You're hard on yourself. I don't want, you know, I think, though, also at the heart of what you're saying, of course, is that ability to edit, you know, the ability to discern what is important and what is just something that exists because we feel like we need to have this event at this season in the church calendar or we need to do what is happening outside of the church in the church. Yeah. Well, I had a recent conversation with another colleague, Reverend Sarah Speed out in New York City, and her wisdom stuck with me in a way that feels so prescient. And she reflected that she doesn't do things annually. Mm. She doesn't put that tag on events Mm. (laughs) because we have to have the flexibility to go, this isn't serving God or anyone, so we're getting rid of it. So that willingness to experiment, to say, this is what is needed in the moment, but it may not be what's needed in six months, in a year, or in 10 years. And I think we measure success so much in the church by, is this something that are we going to repeat it? Mm-hmm. You know, is it worth duplicating or like, oh, that was a successful event. So it earns its place in the calendar. Or it earns mm-hmm. our energy repeatedly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Then we miss the opportunity to do something else, to do something different, to respond to the moment, to be a good guest this year versus last year. And I think the pandemic in the ways that it took away so many of our usual events, mm-hmm. it freed a lot of us from those expectations. And yet, in a lot of ways, we just went back to business as usual, which was what we always all promised each other we would not do in the grief and loss that we experienced and the lessons that were so hard earned. Yeah. You know, what you're demonstrating to me, though, is that there's always an opportunity, even if we feel, you know, or you're listening to this podcast, and you're like, yeah, I'm looking around at the business as usual on my calendar, in the church, in my life. Oh, the one good thing that might have come out of the pandemic, or one among a couple of different things that are important, we've already lost. We're back to business as usual, but it really isn't ever too late. Mm. And, you know, I think about the stories and witness in scripture that we do not know what tomorrow looks like. There's a lot of evoking of this idea that the future is not promised in some sort of particular scheduled way in terms of our human life and experience as we await the coming and reality of God's kingdom among us, that we really don't know what next year will look like. So why would we schedule? Yeah. But I wonder, Gracie, I'm just thinking like the tension, do you experience that tension as a pastor? Or how do you decide this is how I handle what needs to be done or how you feel fluid operating between the realities of managing large projects with lots of different people and assuring that the room gets scheduled and that different interested parties cooperate with one another and honor that capaciousness, that call to capaciousness. I don't always do it well. But yes, I am in a setting where I was asked yesterday about my plans for December 2024. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> they needed to be put on the calendar. 
Yeah. <laughs> so, and that was as, by the way, I was begging our building and grounds folks. I was asking them for a space for the Christmas party on December 15th of this, this year. year. Yeah. Right. <laughs> because <laughs> I could not secure the space outside of the building that I had hoped for. And so I don't always do it well, but I do think that's where the role of relationships and collegiality comes in and just being explicit about we are trying things here. And so this is going to be a little bit suboptimal. Mm. The way in which we approach it is going to be a little bit suboptimal. We're going to pop it up and see how it goes and receive feedback and see what fruit grows here. And we'll go from there. And when people know, okay, you're trying stuff and you're kind of throwing spaghetti at the wall, they're a little more patient with the mess. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then when you can tell the stories and say thanks to your colleagues of like, you helped make this happen, could not have done it without you. And because of this, Mm -hmm. so like, you let us use the parlor. And now I'm sitting in my office getting to have this really holy conversation with a young woman about Mm -hmm. her baptism. Mm -hmm. That was because of you. But we asked for that parlor like a month before it happened, (laughs) which is very late in this world. So I do think there's a way in which we can navigate that, but we just have to be as transparent as possible. And then there are things that I do annually, right? There's the winter retreat. There's a camp that I lead for adults. and Adult summer camp. camp. I love that. It's a week for adults (laughs) to go to summer camp. Those things, yes. They're on the calendar. We plan for them. We're looking far out. But In general, I try to keep the fellowship events that I believe demand a certain flexibility and responsiveness to what people need and how they might encounter one another and grow in community well. And service, keeping those more open-handed. Where can we best partner with our neighbors in this season? Yeah. While sustaining long-term relationships. So that happens in my setting with our long-term partners, but responsive to what's best in the next month or so. Yeah. And so I try to make plans and I try to write in pencil and I try to ask for grace. <laughs> That's probably <laughs> what I would say. You are exceedingly gracious. You know, I I think that it is possible certainly to be creative in isolation mm. and there's a value in that. You know, there is a sacredness in experimentation and art for art's sake and the way that it moves us. And the values of suboptimality, if we can call it a value, suboptimality, and management of expectations are critical to inviting people to be creative in community. Mm-hmm. There's only a certain group of individuals, I'm probably one of them, that can tolerate a good amount of chaos <laughs> in experimentation. But for most folks, they are going to be more creative and feel more open hearted when they know more or less what to expect or Mm. what is on the menu that day when they show up for the welcome table. Yeah. You know, there's the wrestling that happens in spaces that are fortunate to be used in so many different ways. Mm -hmm. So it's holding that tension of being flexible, but also a little bit of firmness. So internally with the folks that I might be co-leading or working with, there is this dance that is going on. And then there's this sense of, okay, now we are in the space and we've done all this preparation. And so how do we hold that well? And that's where I lean a lot on everyone's favorite, Priya Parker and the Art of Gathering and being explicit in 
the purpose for the gathering. And yeah, like you mentioned with the welcome table, it was as we sat down at the table, I said, there is no spiel here. And even before that, when they received their invitation, it was, this is an opportunity for us to get to know you and you to get to know some pastors and elders a second. And that set the stage for, okay, this is not that. This is not at the end, you'll check a box to join. This is about getting to know one another. And then the questions that followed at the table reflected that and reflected a desire to hear their stories and hear what they're seeking. And so we ask similar questions actually at the new member class. We ask them, you know, what are you looking for and why are you here? And we're, we're pulling there from scripture when Jesus asks, what are you looking for? And so we're hoping that they'll answer them in that spirit. But we found in the new member class, it was usually, I'm here because of a program. Mm. And we found at the welcome table, they were answering with a more open spirit of, well, this is what God's been doing in my life, or this is what's been missing, and this is what I'm seeking. And so... That was one of the moments where the light bulb kind of went on for me, and I went, I think this is necessary to have some space like this where people know what's on the agenda, and the agenda is not prove yourself ready for membership or something, which inevitably there's this proving that we all kind of do, even when we've already been told that the grace is here and that we are welcome. Friends, that's it for part one, but we'll be back next week with part two of my conversation with Gracie. You can get that episode sent right to you by subscribing to New Way on your favorite podcast platform. In the meantime, you can experience Gracie's writings and sermons online at Gracie Payne, that's G-R-A-C-I-E-P-A-Y-N-E dot com. They are a beautiful companion to the Advent season, so head on over and be blessed by the stories and reflections there. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Sarah Hayden. Our fabulous producer is Marthame Sanders. You can always visit us online and see archives of all of our episodes at newchurchnewway.org. Catch you next time.